Phil says it's a fool's errand to try to make older people young, but it's enormously fun to make older people fast, and it's very good for you too. Phil Cavell is the CEO of the London-based bike-fitting studio CycleFit, and in addition to being an expert on the biomechanics of cycling, Phil is the author of The Midlife Cyclist, a book for the 40-plus-year-old cyclist who wants to train hard, ride fast, and stay healthy. Today on episode 116, Phil and I discuss finding the sweet spot of exercise for fun that also serves to create a path to long health. This episode was a blast to record and is full of practical tips and good ideas for you to consider. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. All right, let's talk to Phil Cavell, the real wise athlete. Phil Cavell, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Thank you, Joe. It's good to be here on Wise Athletes. Um, I should just say at the outset, I'm recording this uh, in London at CycleFit uh, on a very busy Friday. Friday's always our busiest day, so you might hear people banging around in cleats and stomping down the stairs. There's two busy fit studios here and a physiotherapy and podiatry. So there's a lot going on, so excuse the background extraneous noise if there is any. Ah, well, that actually makes it more real. I love it. So uh, anyway, thanks for the warning and, uh, and no problem whatsoever. Phil, I got to welcome you again. I just got to say that um, I've been looking forward to chatting with you for a while. I mean, ever since your book came out a couple of years ago, and you are the wise athlete. I mean, you know, this should be your podcast, honestly. So thanks for uh, making some time for us. When we get around to the audience understanding your background, the, the, you know, they're going to understand earlier in your life were a, a very high-end uh, cyclist athlete, and then you have gone through the same arc of life that everybody, including myself, have gone through. And my understanding of your book is that that's sort of the genesis of that, of that book. It's what happens and why and how should you think about it and what can you do about it and things to not be afraid of and maybe things to be afraid of. But anyway, I really look forward to uh, getting to know you better and understanding your thoughts. But in particular today, as we have chatted offline, I really wanted to zero in on one thing. And the thing that really matters to me and maybe matters to you is this uh, intersection of you know how older athletes can remain strong uh, late into life, which kind of is your thing. Um, that's also my thing. But the intersection of that with longevity, like health span, being a healthy person, and how do these things relate to each other? How do they help each other? Maybe how do they not cooperate with each other? Uh, you think we can talk about that? Yeah, of course. And that, that is one of the major, um, if you like, one of the major questions in the book that I try and answer that, um, that exercise is unquestionably beneficial for people of all ages children all the way up to, you know, people who are in their 80s and 90s, um, it's a question of what's the right dose for the right person at that right time in their life. And the explosion of cycling um, has seen uh, almost an assumption that you, that the exercising super hard at super high level for a long, t a long time is good for um, middle-aged athletes as it is good for younger athletes and then the metrication of cycling where we're kind of we're measuring power and we're quantifying our success on hills and you know it's much more metricated when i was training and racing um, means that you know guys my age and i'm nearly 62 you know we can you know we can look at these numbers as well and then you know the the assumption there is or not assumption but the unchallenged um orthodoxy is that it's always good to get these numbers up and whatever we can do to get them up is good um uh, intrinsically and also good for our health and that may well be the case uh, but it, it's an assumption and I guess what this book does Joe and what I wanted to do was question assumptions I want to go back to first principles and question all the assumptions um, and that intersection of exercise and age and health that sort of holy triumvirate is really what I'm you know one of the things I'm trying to zero in on was that an answer to that question <laughs> yes it was in fact you have a uh, as a wise person that you are, you have leapt ahead and answered the next couple of questions oh, I'm really sorry. that I was hoping. So that is wonderful. I want to leap into my notes here and pull three things out. I remember hearing you say that there were essentially three themes that you had wanted to put on the front of your book uh, and were not allowed to uh, as, as a non 
author. I'm not sure what that means, allowed and not allowed to. But uh, you had said, grow old, get fast, and don't die. I wonder if um, you might tell us, why did you want to have that on the front of your book? I wanted something that if you were kind of just going through an airport lounge or you were browsing in a bookshop or you know, something that would just kind of arrest you and um, in, a, in, a, in a sort of fairly lighthearted kind of irreverent way. And the, bike, the book is, I mean, the book is quite irreverent in some ways, in, in, you know, in its kind of style, I suppose. And I wanted to make sure that people knew that the book is a little bit irreverent and that they weren't going to open it up and think, oh, I'm just going to get loads of training programs and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, having that on there, um, you know, grow old, get fast, don't die, you know, is irreverent. It's, you know, it's provocative, it's funny, it's, you know, and, and you know, and in a way I, I thought that might self-select the people that would enjoy the book. And the reservation from Bloomsbury, probably rightly, was that, you know, for all the people that you attract with that, you're going to repel people. That's like, that's, you know, it's harsh, it's it's coarse, it's, you know, it's, it's too reduced, too reductive. Um, and they said, look, we'll put it on the back and we'll put something more general on the front. You know, and hey, this is my first full-size book. So, you know, you've got to take good advice when you hear it. Sure. You know, the, a, a lot of people that I talked to about the book, they like that. You know, they like the, you know, it, it speaks to them, grow old, ride fast, you know, get fast, ride. You know, that, it speaks to them. It's like, yeah, that's shorthand, you know. But I'm sure it offended some people also. Well, you can't please everybody all the time. You cannot. In fact, that's a sure recipe for failure. You cannot. To try to serve everybody. Yeah. Yeah, but I wanted to dive into it a little bit. I mean, the don't die part, okay, I get that, uh, you know, because the game's up, you know, if you if you do that. And I suppose maybe we're talking about some, maybe some specific things to avoid that lead there. Uh, but this business of growing old and getting fast almost sets like... I can get faster even though I'm getting older. Yeah. Do you think that's right? I do. And I think one of the things that I left out the book and I've been one of my clients who is a world masters athlete picked me up on actually rightly. He said, one of the things you didn't talk in the book about was um, training age. And he's, you know, and he said, look, I only got into cycling at 50, 55. Uh So, you know, I'm nearly 70 and I'm improving all the time. And it's a really good point. You know, it's like I didn't discuss training age and it, it was a bit, it, in a way it was an oversight. So yes, he can and is getting faster as he gets older. And you are, as you say, getting faster as you get older. And that's all fine. So what, what I want you to think about and him to think about is at what cost? Is the cost too high? And is the cost quantifiable or, you know, can you discuss the cost? It, can you measure it? You know, um, and if you can measure it, is it empirically verified? Is it evidence based? So in a sense, yes, if speed is the only goal and you take it the dying part then you know, hey, that's fine. You know, go, go for it. Um, if don't dying is important, then you've got to then start thinking about the growing old bit, the riding fast bit and also the don't dying bit. And then <laughs> as you open the conversation, Joe, um, that, you know, that that's the bit that I'm trying to hold up in front of me all the time, you know? So, and I, it's all through the book. I'm trying to discuss those three things. Um, and, you know, and, and really point out is, is which bits most important to you, you know, growing old, riding fast or don't die. And, you know, we're obsessed with this, not growing old, you know, all of us, I think on some level and certainly societally we're obsessed with it and, you know, growing old, you know, it's called senescence, cell death. Uh, and certainly there's things that you can do to, Im- to, to improve your health around cell death. And there's also some evidence that maybe there's some things you can do that can slow it down. But, you know, essentially senescence is part of life. You know, that that's part of our, our organic being is that, you know, we get less good at copying our cells as they reproduce. And that's called senescence. And that's inevitable. So um, personally, I'm kind of at peace with that. And, but I also want to offset that wherever I can by eating better, training better, and not overloading my being with stress and things that are not good for me. Um, other people are like, no, no, cell death is not inevitable. You know, my cells aren't going to stop reproducing more as efficiently. Like, okay, fine. Well, good luck with that. I'm sure there's going to be a time when, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a time when that's true, but it's not, I don't think, true at the moment. I think, you know, that senescence so far, no one's lived forever yet. Yeah. In fact, I have a 
podcast lined up with uh, the president of Aura Biomedical, who is uh, doing the million molecule search for the you know the next rapamycin. So yeah, uh, yeah I'm pretty sure that it do- that we don't have it in our hand at the moment, no. but they're uh, they're definitely looking for it. Of course, and and they should, um, absolutely they should. And at that, at that point, I'm going to completely recant to say, marvelous, excellent. Where do I sign up my subscription to that? <laughs> but in the meantime, you know, part, part you know, some of the book is sort of slightly philosophical. It's like make your peace with that. That's, you know, make your peace with yeah. the, that this is inevitable. So it's a question of choosing your kind of jumping on and jumping off point. I mean, personally, quality of life is more important to me than quantity of life. Um, and mostly, I think quantity of life and quality of life track. Yeah. And and, and where they don't and um, then I think it's, you know, as adults, it's right that we should know where that is and how we, how we handle it. Well, good. This is perfect. This is exact. It's, it's odd to hear you saying what has been in my mind for the last few years. Um, so I've found the master. No, um, you haven't, pleased. You, you haven't, you haven't found the master. Uh, and I should also quantify, I was never a top level racer. I was what in the UK, I was what's called a first cap. I was constrained by a lack of talent and poor training and all the rest of it. You know, I just achieved what I achieved and it wasn't great. Um, and, you know, and, uh, and, you know, I'm not the master of this subject. It's just, it's, you know, some of the book is, is just being an adult and talking around things with people who are also adults and want to talk about them also. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I have, a, I have a lot to learn from everybody. Well, fair enough. That's a part of being wise. But, but let me go back and just say, look, I was a cat three and I got my butt whooped by cat threes and cat twos and the occasional cat one when I was in a, you know, one, two, three race. Uh, so cat ones were strong, you know, as far as I was concerned. Okay. Yeah. You didn't race in the tour of France, but that doesn't mean you weren't pretty good. So, okay, let's move past that. I, I do, I do think that there is, it does sort of start with goals and it's always fair to say, Oh yeah, you know, you got to have goals. And then what you want really matters in terms of how should you go after it? Right. And maybe there are people who, uh, you know, winning races when they're 65 or 70 years old is way more important to them than being a healthy person alive at 80 years old. Okay, good. So, you know, they're going to prioritize what they do differently than me because I think I can have a pretty good quality of life without maximum level uh, racing right now. I can have enough exercise, but not as much as I would need in order to be competitive at that level. But yet I think that what I'm doing is better for my longevity and my uh, health span that I think will track longevity, as you pointed out, because that's my goal versus the goal of the person who their ego, their identity is wrapped up in the medals that they are earning and, and the feelings of accomplishment that they have. My uh, podcast uh, partner who has been uh, less reliable about joining uh, lately because he's in a, the middle of a move to uh, South Korea, Glenn Winkle, he is a uh, multi-time Masters World Champion. And so he's you know, all about training. Yeah, I think he's starting to shift his priorities as injuries have caught up with him. And now he's like incapable of training as hard as is necessary to, uh, you know, compete at that level. And then I think that there are also people just talking about goals who athletics just never really mattered to them and they don't care to do that sort of thing. And they're looking for the least amount of physical activity necessary for health. And so they're talking about walking 30 minutes a day and things like that. And that's it. That's all that they're going to do versus somebody like me. And maybe I expect somebody like you, who you enjoy physical activity, that that's a part of the pleasure of life. And so, you know, we would end up doing more, not just be, not because we needed it for our health, but because that's a part of our goals of enjoying our life, which we want it to last a long time. I, you know, I want to be doing a bike tour of Italy when I'm 80 years old, you know, not a bus tour. Yeah. Agreed. And, and, And even the guys like your podcast partner, 
and I know nothing about you know the issues that he's facing keeping that going. And so someone's coming downstairs with some cleats here. You can hear. <laughs> it, so, I mean, there's a sense in which I don't. How old is he, Glenn? I think he's sixty-seven. Sixty-seven. So at sixty-seven, you know, if if his goal is to stay fast uh, at sixty-seven, he's almost certainly got to take a different approach than when he was thirty-seven, forty-seven, and maybe even mm-hmm. fifty-seven. And that, you know, and that, and that will be a question of reviewing everything. Um, and, and, and we see it all the time here. We have a physiologist, uh, Dr. John Baker, who works with us here quite a lot. And, you know, and then he does a lactate test, a lactate threshold test on a, on a really good athlete and, and finds that their lactate threshold levels are not where they should be. And these people are struggling for performance or they've plateaued or, think, you know, they're, they're all tired all the time or they, and they're overeating and you know and they don't they don't have any data to back it up so we put them through a lactate threshold test and that's jimmy who's just walked in behind me hello jim yeah he, they say hello jimmy jimmy's hello. jimmy's one of the one of the bike fitters here and he's stealing a fan out of this studio <laughs> so they're underperforming and then you do a lactate threshold test and and they're they they become lactate factories so they're producing mm. so much lactate lactate because their training and their competition has been poorly matched and in trying, to, in trying to hack their training, trying, they haven't got their time poor, so they're always training at a high level, which means they're always producing lactate. Their body's just now adapted. Okay, you want me to produce lactate? Fine, I'll be a lactate machine. See how that... And that's what's happened. It's like, okay, well, you know, there's a moment where wisdom, you know, where, you know, work ethic has overtaken wisdom. It's like, so they, the plan for them is different. You know, you need to start training different systems. Humans are very good at endurance. We need to train our bodies to endure first, and then we can bring in performance. If we turn it upside down, it doesn't generally end well, and it doesn't generally end well for athletes of my age, uh, 62, because you know we're trying to hack something uh, at an age where you know in any other century we wouldn't be alive. So you know right. evolution's not on our side there, Joe. You know, there's no genetic imperative to keep a 62 year old alive you know yeah i think that one of the issues is this uh time constraint that people have thought they've heard in fact that oh you can just if you don't have enough time then just work out harder in the time that you have available and so they they don't do the endurance work they're just doing high intensity work uh in order to take most advantage of the little bit of time that they're able to put into it but then they have the problem that you're describing that they're not good at burning fat they're lactate making machines and uh and that limits their upside but the other thing that it does from a longevity health span perspective is it injures their ability to be metabolically healthy right yeah and i, and I think to me i to me i don't understand enough about this but i want to to me this is where the magic may be you know this kind of you know, layering on of stress and inflammation, um, and some of it's good because you need an infl- inflammatory response to get a, a, a you know a training adaptation to a stimulus. But you know how much stimulation and stress is right, and when does it tip over and become harmful? And I think that to me, this is where the magic is for everybody, but certainly older athletes. It's like learning to un- understand that when you are burning lactate all the time, you're always, always, you know, got the re- you're hitting the red line because you're time poor that comes at a cost you know that comes at a cost that you know that you're right is systemic um and you know as we we're going to quantify this i think as we you know uh, sports science improves we are quantifying it now and that's one of the things i think i'm trying to get to in the book joe um that you sometimes you've got to slow down to go fast certainly at uh-huh. our age you've got to slow down to go fast and and and, and actually you need that's where you need this kind of reset and, and, and slow things down and then gently build the speed up. So you've got a much firmer foundation to build your performance on. And I think I say in the yeah. book, don't try and move into the penthouse when you haven't built the foundation. You can do it for a while, but you know, it, it's not a good long-term strategy. Cool. Well, you have a, a nice way with uh, the English language. Thank you. You should write more books. Are you going to write another book? Um, yeah, I'm just starting one now, Joe. Actually, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> well, good. Well, well, we'll get into uh, some of the learnings that have occurred to you since you published your last one, and we'll get some uh, other stuff from you. Well, that's really good. So we've talked a little bit about getting back to this idea of how sports, athletics, and training kind of fit into the whole 
health span, being a healthy person, but living a long time, you know, for whatever your genetic makeup is. When we've talked a little bit about uh, metabolic health, going slow to go fast, teaching your body to burn fat, not just burning sugar all the time. Uh, you know, is there anything else that um, you would kind of put into that category? Yeah, I would think I would say as you're growing older, there's a, there's a there's a an irony in the fact that as you're growing older, if you want to still ride fast, you probably need to do less cycling. You need to drop mm. out of cycling and put something else in its place that's working on everything that cycling doesn't work on, and recognize that cycling is a you know essentially an abstract environment. It's not a natural environment. And that, you know, we need to do something else that's more natural to us and bring, it, bring that in. And the faster we want to go and the more we want to cycle, actually probably the more we need to drop things out and, and compensate with something else. So cycling, we're in spinal flexion, hip flexion. Well, then do something that's not in spinal flexion, hip flexion. So do something that's standing, standing up, stand up paddle boarding or weights in the gym or swimming or something, you know, bring in something else that, you know, that challenges your body in a way that cycling doesn't. Um, and work on on this kind of age-related muscle loss or sarcopenia. So, you know, and and those are the things that are difficult messages to us cyclists because we like riding our bikes and, you know, we don't want to go to the gym and we don't want to do weights and we don't want to... So, you know, so and it's a hard message, but it's, you know, you have to... The older we get, the more you kind of have to bring other, other things on. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it's got to get right back to the whole problem of they don't have a lot of time. And so they want to, whatever time they do have, they want to do the thing that they like. And that's yeah. riding their bike, you know, for cyclists. And and you're saying that, okay, that makes sense. But if you really want to be better at riding your bike, then you have to do other things. I wonder if we can connect this back to the bike fitting. I bet there's a, rela- a relationship between people who are they're so fragile essentially because they only ride the bike. They only move in one plane of motion. They only move in flexion and every little millimeter matters to them versus the person who's maybe a little more healthy, a little more well-rounded. Heck, when I was a kid, nothing on my bike bothered me. And the older I got and the more I did nothing but ride my bike, everything seemed to bother me. Yeah, agreed. I totally agree with that. And and that's right. And that's, I guess our business is predicated on that. And that's why we have a physio here, Nicola, who's absolutely brilliant. She's also actually a very good bike fitter herself, but she, she really does that here. But we internally refer the whole time. You know, she, she refers to us, we refer to her. We know in the first instance, we, you know, we need to try and reflect their limitations on the bike position. But then it's like, well, let's be aspirational. If we want to get you to the place you want to be to achieve your goals, we need to change you a bit. Um, and then so you have a program to change the person um, and um, you know and that's where she helps us and same with so John's looking at John's looking at their internal chemistry if you like their the chemistry in their muscles and in their blood and then and then Nick is looking at the you know the the musculoskeletal system so we're trying to treat the whole body there with evidence-based science it's like you know this is lactate thresholds are you know these are not open for contention you know blood lactate values are real you know um so yeah i can remember the question now no we were just talking about how the more uh, you know essentially healthy a person is as well as functionally able to move in multiple planes of movement and flexion and not it makes them uh better on the bike it does absolutely that's absolutely right yeah um and yeah, and that's that's a mess. So we measure everyone's limitations, physical limit. When they come here, we're looking at balance and muscle ranges and all that kind of stuff before we even get them anywhere near a bike. So we kind of know what we're going to see. You know, even before we put them on the bike, we know what's you know we kind of know what we're going to see um, because we've already measured their limitations. And that's a question of dealing right. with the limitations um, so they can perform better. Yeah, and and part of, for me, part of that is going back to this kind of our kind of earlier conversation about how you kind of square this circle of time availability and what you're trying to achieve with your life. I think some of this is, some of this is also a little bit of humility. Okay. You, maybe you can't do that. And so maybe just think about a different goal, but it's also maybe think about changing your life so you can build more stuff in. So rather than get in your car, walk or cycle or, you know, jog one day you know try and bring more exercise into your life and life into your exercise so that the two are almost virtually indistinguishable you're just that you're that person that's active 
And so you're, you know, you're looking at your general activity level. Never take the lift. Always, always take the stairs. Just kind of try and build that more in. So that you're, oh. you know, as you're older, it's just like exercise is part of my everyday life. That's genius. Do you know what I mean? I, it, and for me, that's, that's how I get by, Joe. You know, it's like I, you know, I don't drive. You know, I walk, I cycle, I climb the stairs. I, you know, I'm always trying to do things that I'm trying to stay active. I'm, try, I'm never avoiding activity. I'm always embracing it. But yeah. neither am I doing it, smashing myself, sens senseless, trying to hit my FTP the whole time. So I think there's a lot we can do as people where we just commit to being more active and commit to trying to build exercise into everyday life. I think that's right. You know, try and never get in your car. You know, okay, sometimes you have to, yeah. but you know, try and never do that. You know, it's get an e-bike. That makes perfectly good sense. And I and some of it, I think, is going to be this is a long-term plan, right? Because yeah. it's like you know, I, I, my house is where it is. Yeah, exactly. And if there's no place to walk, then there's no place to walk. Exactly. But the next house I buy, I'm going to be thinking about that. And surely I can start taking the stairs at work and maybe I can be using, you know, a stand-up desk and, uh, and different things like that. But yeah, I mean, I admit, I am shamed to admit that I am a person who sits at a desk all day long and then I try to get my exercise in. Yeah. Right. Why not just be a person who is physical in, in my life? And, and I don't want to be a ditch digger that I think would be too big of a leap, but you know, if I can figure out how, like you say, to walk where I'm going and ride my bike where I want to go and be moving a lot when I'm, you know, working, then that really takes the edge off that, that makes my exercise limitations less limiting. That's right. And, 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 you know, and certainly, how old are you, Joe? If you don't mind me asking, I'm 61. Good man. Yeah. So I'm yeah same age. I'm almost 60. So yeah. So you know, at our age, that, that you know, walking is training. I mean, it's you know, because it's you know, you're probably your heart rate's at one, you know, I don't know, 100, 100, 500. I don't know. But you know, it's it's really good, you know, fat burning exercise for us. It's you know, it's yeah. we're, we're an extension. We're not inflection. Uh, you know, it's and certainly if the walking is a bit more chaotic in the sense that it's not a footpath on, you know, but it's kind of a bit rough and we're going up and it's like, it's good. It's good. Yeah. It, it, it counts. Oh, it's good you know, for the brain for sure. Absolutely. And I think this counts, you know, and this is kind of uh, going a bit more in this direction on the next book, I guess, is this counts, you know, this counts. You know, that, that five step flights of stairs at work or you, wherever you are building your listing, that counts, you know, that's because it's, it's good stuff. You know, it's, um, it's it's not cycling, um, um, so it, it and it's doing something different, and it's getting your heart up. And then commuting by bike, you know, you know the whole classic thing about races is commuting is dead miles. I mean, that's absolute nonsense. You know, it's not dead miles; it's good miles. And if you and if you're kind of a bit tired, then get an e-bike, and you know, rather than commute by bike, get commute by e-bike. If you're feeling good, turn the motor down a bit. If you're feeling great, then uh, you know, do you know what I mean? So you can adjust. And if you're sure, not if you're not sure. sure how much exercise you're getting, well, wear a heart heart monitor. So you know, you're, if your heart's meant to be at one twenty five, one thirty, because you're trying to get your fat burning zone up, then use the e bike, and and commute to work your fifteen miles, but keep your heart where it should be. So you arrive. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's there's all this is available now, um, yeah. and to me, any movement and any activity is all goal is all moving towards the right goal. It doesn't need right. to be at your red line to be valuable. It does not. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that we've just, we've, you know, you and I have talked about and experts that I've heard scientists say that you shouldn't be at the red line all the time. That should be the least thing. Now, you do need to touch that. You do. As a part of your yeah. um, program. But that's the least thing that, that sits on a foundation of endurance, as you said. Don't build the penthouse without building the foundation first. So yeah, that makes perfectly good sense. Okay, so let's move on in, into some other topics that I heard you talk about, and I've had other people on the show talking about, and I think that it fits into this whole category. I had a cardiologist, Benjamin Levine, MD. I had asked him, because it was kind of a thing around that time, that, oh gosh, athletes are exercising too hard, and it is injuring their health. And he said... No, that's not true. What did you find? Because you looked into this question. Yeah, it's the biggest. It's the biggest chapter. It's the first chapter I wrote in the book was chapter three, which is twenty thousand words long, um, and every other chapter is you know 
well, probably half that. So it's the big first chapter I wrote. It was kind of the book's calling card in a sense. Um, and certainly over in, 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 the, in, U, in the UK, we had these, we were having these conflicting messages the whole time. Um, high level exercises, killing people, middle-aged people, middle-aged people aren't doing enough exercise. You should be doing HIIT training in really intense. No, you shouldn't be. It's like there were so many conflicting messages out there that, you know, and um, I was fortunate enough to be in contact with a couple of cardiologists who were very good cyclists. Um, and, you know, so, and then I went, you know, we talked. They lectured here at CycleFit, um, and you know, so it was, it was an opportunity for me then to go back to the core research and data with the people that did the research, Dr. Gemma Perry Williams, who I quote in the book, Ahmed Magani, who I quote in the book, you know, who did these research programs into masters athletes, and there did seem to be this incidence in some of the research that showed that that exercise with middle-aged athletes did correlate to more atherosclerosis in masters athletes but it's as as your previous interviewee suggests these are, these are not simple findings because in a sense exercise acts a bit like a statin it takes what could be a um a an amorphous kind of um unstable plaque if you like and turn it into a calcified plaque which yes you might have a calcified plaque but it's stable so it's not as essentially potentially dangerous yeah it's not going to burst and then get into the bloodstream correct so you know so yes there did there was did seem to be a higher incidence of these atherosclerotic plaques in masters athletes but are they dangerous well you know as as i say in the book where's the bodies you know (laughs) that's a great point yeah it's not my point by the way it's not I, i it's a quote that i took from somebody else but it's a good one um and so Yes, there's more more longitudinal studies need to be done. So we can't draw any conclusions. You know, we should be careful about what conclusions we draw. And I am. I'm not a cardiologist. But, you know, it seems to be that exercise is overwhelmingly healthy for most people most of the time. Where I think there's where I think there is more nuance is around things like atrial fibrillation or AF, where there does seem to be a higher incidence of AF in male, mostly male masters athletes. That does seem to be a thing. But, you know, AF is eminently treatable and there are ways that you can, you know, certainly ways that you can ameliorate it and lessen its effects. And, um, you know, and one of those seems to be seems to be a relationship between alcohol and mm. alcohol, you know, heavy exercise and middle age seem seem to be not a great relationship. Hmm, hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the alcohol thing, I think, is. The wiser a person is, the more they're really looking at that. And, and there's some upside to it. Uh, you know, who hasn't ha- enjoyed themselves you, imbibing some alcohol? And at this point in our life, the flavor, some of the sources of alcohol can be really quite delicious, pleasure-inducing. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of calories, and then you're not sleeping as well. And and now we're talking. you're talking about AFib. So, yeah, so there's upside and there's some downside and you got to measure all that out. I totally agree with that. And that's right. You shouldn't be like, OK, I'm going to give up alcohol completely because like, there's a social benefit and a relaxation benefit. So, you know, there's, you know, people enjoy it. I mean, you know, I, I, I like, you know, I, what red wine was, was one, definitely one of my previous, you know, um, pleasures. But, you know, the, the, you also probably as a midlife athlete need to accept that you metabolizing it is a bit more difficult you know that and so you know we probably shouldn't be drinking more as we get older and also working out more intensively though that's another triangle that probably doesn't work that well makes sense all right so let's talk about testosterone i've heard you talk about it on another podcast so i know that this is something that is on your mind it's pretty common uh, especially here in the states i guess i that's all i know and the people that i you know used to race with and ride with it was you know, you never really knew because people didn't want to say, but you, the, the scuttlebutt was that it was pretty a common thing. And it was, it was really an important, a performance enhancer. I think as you get older, some people are taking it because it's really, a, you know, they think it's a health improver and maybe it does make them feel better. The point that I wanted to uh, kick into the conversation is that, I mean, I had a, a another guest on the show, Dr. Rick Cohen, who had talked about uh, low T testosterone as really kind of a canary in a coal mine, a, a bit of a sign of health issues, fundamental health issues 
And so taking testosterone is just sort of a Band-Aid. It's just covering up the health issue. Now, it may be that in the end, there's no resolving of the health issue and, and, and you just want to feel better for your quality of life. So why not? Why wouldn't you do that? But that surely his point was that that would not be how you would start. You would start by trying to understand why was it low in the first place and then trying to resolve that. What was your research into that? I certainly spoke to um, um, people about this, um, a lot of people about this. And one of the people I spoke to was one of the a sports endocrinologists who I, I quote in the book, uh, Nikki, who's got her own book out now. Um, and, um, and she and I talked about this. And uh, in fact, she and I have done podcasts together on this and also spoken at events together on this. It's a difficult one, this one, because obviously the way that a woman going into men perimenopause and menopause, the hormones, estrogen, progesterone, uh, women you know, are going off a cliff. So it's not yeah. the same relationship. We have a linear decline in testosterone from, you know, whatever it is, mid-20s, 30s, and we have a linear decline, decline as we go through our lives. That isn't the experience of women. Um, their experience is very different. And when they get to perimenopause, it goes off a cliff. And then when they get into menopause, it goes off another cliff. And it's, you know, it can be very unpleasant and it, to, you know, it can have very deleterious effects physically, psychologically, you know. And so, you know, the, a lot of women now are choosing to take HRT um, and, you know, it seems to, you know, improve every, every aspect of their life, including their athletic performance. So, what, you know, and the risks seem to be very, very small and the evidence base around that is, all, is, is, all, is, is evolving all the time. So why not? You know, and that's great that that's now a much more discussed thing and a much more accepted thing. And women are, you know, living happier lives as they get into their, you know, menopause. With men, it's different, Joe, because it's a not. It's it's a. We have this linear decline. So we. It's okay. At what point do we stop? What you know? At what point do we say my testosterone is now too low? Forty. 35, 60, and where do you want to return it to? To the level you would have been at 30? I mean, it's a difficult one. If, if yeah. someone came up with the evidence base that, look, guys, returning your testosterone levels a little bit to where they were in your 30s and 40s has very little risk um, and very little side effects, um, then, you know, sure, it would be a much more live debate for me. Um, but I just don't know if about, enough about it, Joe. So I don't touch it. But equally, if, if it was very clear to me, my GP said to me, no, no, Phil, it's fine. You'll be fine. There's no risk. It will help your, you know, will help you, you know, your energy a little bit and your, you know, your ability to deal with work stresses and the rest of it. It's fine. I mean, but no one's saying that to me yet, Joe. That, that, that's mm. the thing. Um, so that's why in the book, I, I raise it as a topic of discussion, but I don't really come up with any firm conclusion other than, well, Again, it comes into that triangle of health, speed, and age. Where are you on that? Yeah. You know, and I and I'm kind of I'm not going to take that because I, you know, no one's told me yet that it's not going to hurt me. You know, so uh, I, and so uh, I'm going to edge more towards the, you know, I'm being a bit cautious about it. Now, but I don't, you know, that's that's me. Um, the it seems to be a much more discussed and accepted, and for for, for women, you know, with with you know HRT and um, and the benefits seem to be, you know, very well um, documented and evidence-based. I just don't see that with men. Do you? Well, I think that there are men who have medical issues where they can't resolve it. Oh, sure. Just through more fundamental health resolution. Absolutely. And so why just suffer? Oh, yeah. Uh, even if it is not going to be good for you in some ways... Anyway, this is a theoretical point of view. I don't personally have this or know anybody well enough to be able to you know, describe how that, that would be. But I can just imagine that this would be true, that there would be people who would fit into this category where it's just a quality of life thing. But for myself, I would be like you. I would be afraid. I would be afraid to start taking something that would then start cause my body to stop making it endogenously. And so I would have to take it now for the rest of my life without going down the path of trying to resolve whatever was causing it to be low in the first place. Now, 
that I think is maybe falls into two buckets. One would be just sort of, you know, stress and not getting good sleep and maybe not having a proper diet and maybe not doing, you know, resistance exercise. You know, if those th lifestyle things that I could fix, I should fix them for sure. Okay. The yeah. other bucket is, you know, I'm getting older and the body just isn't working as well, you know, for maybe lots of reasons. It just, that all sort of uh, combine over time into this thing we call aging. And I actually am trying to fight back on that too. You know, as an example, I take rapamycin, which is uh, not really an experimental drug, but an off-label, I'm, I'm using it off-label for purposes of trying to get my mTOR signaling to function properly so that my immune system will repair itself and my body as it did when I was younger. And so I, maybe I'll be younger. So, you know, I'm fighting against the aging thing too, but still theoretically, I can see how there could be people in the bucket where they've tried everything and it's not working and they just don't want to be miserable. I, I, absolutely right. I mean, we're not, we're not talking about people here who are, who have um, poor health because of testosterone, low testosterone. Those people can go to their, their doctor. Sorry, we call doctors GPs here out. When I say GP, I mean our doc, you know, your family doctor. Yeah. You go to your doctor, your family doctor, they do a blood test and say, hey, look, your, your testosterone is really, really very, very low. And I'm going to recommend that we, that, and that's another thing completely. We're not, you know, you, I don't think you were talking about, you were talking about middle-aged athletes, you know, taking test, men taking testosterone to improve performance and kind of hack their performance a wee bit. I think, isn't that what you were saying? Yeah, that I think is where there's a mistake. And it's a mistake if they have longevity and long health span goals. Yes. If their goal is to just win the Masters World Championship and they can get away with it, well, okay, then maybe it's not a mistake. Well, it's a ban it is banned, I think. I think it is banned. So look, at, let's think about testosterone. What, so testosterone yeah. is, the, is, a, is a male hormone, but it's not an active chemical in itself. It doesn't do – all it does is it sends a message to your body to do something. So I think what you were saying is good. It's like, well, let's, what's, it, what's the testosterone trying to message your body to do? So build muscle. Well, then don't take the testosterone. Go to the gym or do resistance training. Do you know what I mean? So I think look at what testosterone is trying to do, the message it's trying to send your body, and just do that and don't take the testosterone. Yeah. That's, to me, that's do the hard work. You know, it's not an active chemical testosterone. It's only a message. It's, you know, it's telling your body to do something. Well, do, do it anyway. And then, you know, you, I think you'll get a lot of the effects. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, do the work. Exactly. Uh, you know, you'll get a lot of benefits from that. And, and for the fraction of people that have done all the work and it's not working, okay, fine. You know, you got to do what you got to do. That's uh, right. But don't start with the shortcut. Agreed. I totally agree with that. Um, because I think at our age, and it's good that we're the same age, you know, that really ends well. It's like we, we're old enough now to know that, you know, the, the, the hacks aren't going to work for us. We actually probably just need to go back to first principles and do and do the work, you know. But that doesn't need to be onerous. It doesn't need to be onerous. It can be, you know, just adding in 30, 40 flights of stairs a week. That's a lot. Yeah. You know, do you know what I mean? It's like that's a lot of that's a lot yeah. of doing 30, 40, 50 extra flights of stairs a week. That's good. You're an extension. You're using your, you know, fundamentally using your glutes more than you would when you're riding on a bike. It's like it's it's good stuff. It doesn't yeah, have to be yeah. onerous, and it's build it into our lives. Good. Okay, let's shift gears, because I, I think that you're right, and that sort of ties it back to the earlier point of, um, you know, don't just be a sedentary person who then exercises. Try to be an active person in your life, and then exercise is not something where you're struggling to find the time, because right. you know, you, it's, it's all the time uh, when you're not sleeping. No, there's one more thing that I think is really important. I almost mentioned before, and I, and I didn't. It, it, something I've become increasingly interested in. You just touched on it, and I think you may come back to it. So sorry, sorry. Sleep, I think, is uh, is is, is uh. the gold dust here. I mean, to me, you know, this is the thing. The, the the thing that it's so common to us that we don't think about it is sleep, and 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 our relationship to sleep. Certainly, at our age, this whole myth thing that older people don't need to sleep as much because they're not reproducing their cells. You know, that's not the case. We need to sleep as much as anybody else. And if we're training, we need to make sure that we sleep. Because we may, you know, when we have a hard training session, the performance dividends are delivered overnight. That's, you know, that, 
and, and, and it has to be the right right level of sleep. It has to go into those kind of slow wave sleep, so growth hormone is released. Right. And, and, and that's where I think managing and understanding our relationship to sleep and our chronotype. So um, are you naturally somebody who performs better in the morning or in the evening? And really understanding that is massive. And then and structuring your yeah. sessions and your work around your chronotype at our age, I think is really powerful. Interesting. I wonder, have you worked out some things that work for you for, so that you can get sleep? Because because I, I really believe that, I mean, they always say that the benefit from exercise is in the recovery from it and recovery is from, is in sleep. sleep. So how have you figured it out? If you have figured it out? Yeah, I, ha I, I'm figuring it out, you know, which is embarrassing at 61, but it, you know, it's the truth. So my natural chronotype growing up when I was racing was an owl. So I was just much better. You know, I was a person that struggled to get to bed because I was just reading too much and, you know, fixing my bike and, you know, so I, I, I always never got enough sleep and I was always late to bed and then I would always get up late. And so, you know, so I was a natural owl. So my racing, my racing career, as such as it was, I was, you know, give me a nighttime race, a nighttime criterion and I'd probably do quite well. Give me an early, early morning time trial. So that's, yeah. That was really painful. So now I've just through circumstances, I'm in a, I'm a lark now. I'm up, I'm up at quarter past five every morning and, you know, I've turned so and to me, that's my kind of architectural setting point. Getting me up early yeah. requires a lot of other things to take place. It requires me to go to bed early. It requires me to, it's, you know, it's, a, it, it, it's made my structure much better. And now my peak performance time is in the morning. So my best time of the day is between five and 11 o'clock. So that's where I'm at my peak. Um, and so, and that's nice. changed because my natural chronotype was, was an hour, but I'm now a lark. And it helps me, That's it's funny. helped me with everything. Getting up early and teaching and training myself to the discipline to get up early has changed everything. For the better? For the better. Because it means, to, it, it means a lot of other things have to become, it have to fall into place for me to do that. You know, um, not least that I have to be in bed by 10 o'clock. It's funny, you, you and I are not just the same essential age. We, we have a lot of things that are, uh, similar, except that you were a better cyclist than me. No, I wasn't that good. <laughs> okay, one more thing. We're going to run out of time. And you, as a famous bike fitter, I got to talk to you about bike fitting. And so I wonder, bike fitting might be another one of these uh, canary in a coal mine things where the more unhealthy you are, the more trouble you have with your bike fit. And people who have no trouble with their bike fit do not come to see you. So you know less about those people than you know about people who do have trouble. But what is like the general things that you would say to somebody who says, oh, you know, my bike bothers me. My butt hurts. My knee hurts. My neck hurts. And that's why I don't ride my bike that much because it's just an uncomfortable thing. Yeah, it's a really good question. I just worked on an article actually with Molly Herford from, um, is it Bicycling Magazine or American Magazine? Oh, yeah. She wrote an article, but she and I had a long chat before she... I saw that article. It's good. I think it's a good article. I think she's... I, I like the way she's presented it, and it's good. I think she's done it really well. Anyway, so she and I would... I thought about this a lot before we talked, and, and some of the things that she talks about in the article, which I, you know, we talked about, and I suggested, was that, you know, if someone really struggling with a bike fit, before you go and see the bike fitter, put your bike on a stationary trainer and have somebody film you on it. And then, you know, filming from the front, filming from the side, from the back. And then just look at those videos and say, is, does that, is that how I feel? When I see that video of that person on the bike, is that my experience of, my, of me on the bike? Uh, and you say, so, yeah, that's my experience. It's like, most often times it's not. Most people go, my God, is that me? That doesn't, I, didn't, I didn't think I looked like that. And then you, then you can start to think about what the challenges are. Well, you know, well, why, why is there a disconnect between how you feel and how you look? Let's talk about those what that disconnect is and what that, and then you start to draw out what the issues are. And That's very interesting. Yeah. And the other thing is, Hey, this, we didn't evolve to ride bikes. We evolved to run, run around and walk. And, you know, we didn't. So this is an abstract environment for us. Forgive yourself. If you don't feel good on your bike, really first thing is forgive yourself. This is an abstract environment. Your body didn't evolve to do this. So let's try and, yeah. you know, you may need some help getting this to the best place. And it's not, you know, it's okay. not your fault, you know, you, 
and you know and that's one of the things we say every day here you know all the, all the bike fitters here we all talk to each other it's like you know we didn't evolve to do this it's just you know this is a difficult thing here yeah so and your, you, i think your observation is perfect i love the observation that we only see the bad cases here you know we're, this is a self-selecting group all the people have got new problems they never come and see us so right you know which is good and bad um but if you are in pain on your bike pain you know if you ride 100 miles you're going to have some mild discomfort certainly at our age but if you're in pain and things hurt and then they continue to hurt when you stop cycling that's just clearly wrong and you need to get it resolved yeah. uh, and yeah. you're going to need you're going to need help with that and almost certainly what you the conclusions you come to yourself could be mis, misguided because an abs, because it's an abstract environment the feedback we get is not great you know, in, do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not, it's not natural. We don't make great, and I include myself in this, you know, we, I don't make great conclusions about my own bike fit. I, I just don't. Right. A person would not have good instincts about what is, ha why is that happening? Not necessarily. No, not yeah. necessarily. Not okay. on a bike, not on a bike because, it, yeah. you know, it's like if a runner says to you, look, I know my left leg's weak because, you know, I have to kind of, when I run a jump, jump over a log, I have to switch to my right leg for the takeoff. So that's that's real time. That's evolved function. You know, they're probably right. When someone says, oh, my right leg's really, really strong, but my left leg's useless on a bike, that like we don't listen because well, we listen and we record it, but we're not jumping to the conclusion that they're right. We'll measure it. And then you measure it. And it's like, well, look here, we're measuring it here. Guess what? You're stronger on the other side. So it's, they're not trying to be awkward. It's just the feedback is difficult. Uh, and that's the problem with trying to do your own bike fit, which is why I was saying to Molly in that article, keep it really simple here. Do some filming and think about how you feel and how you look and the disconnects there and, and what's driving yeah. those disconnects. I love the filming. The filming is brilliant. In fact, I've heard that in other contexts of watch yourself working out, yeah. watch yourself walking. Correct. And Correct. people will be stunned yes. at their dysfunction that they had no idea that they were doing something wrong oh well no wonder my back hurts or no yeah. wonder my knee hurts look what i'm doing yeah. you know every second of every day yeah right. uh, so that's really great getting back to the bike fit the issue with the bike is i've thought i've had a few bike fitter people on the podcast and i'm one of the people who i don't go to a bike fitter because i not really had problems uh, that's not to say that I never have had issues, but I've thought about it because of the guests. I've thought about it a lot and it's a complicated problem, you know, cause sometimes it's the body, the, you know, because it's this artificial thing and your inflection. And if you're not used to being inflection for lengths of time, well, well, the, you know, no bike, no bike seat, no handlebar position is going to help you. you you've got to get your body to be ready for that kind of a thing. And you're going to do a million pedal strokes. All right. Well, you know, you're going to have to get used to that and that's not going to feel good at first, but sometimes it is the bike that, you know, sometimes your hip bones don't fit on that saddle that came with that bike that you paid an ungodly amount of money for. And they put the cheapest saddle on it that they could get away with. And you're, and it doesn't fit you. So, you know, you need somebody to help you understand what you need to do there. Um, and a proper fitting bike, a bike that not only doesn't hurt, because that's that's got to be the beginning, but also the bike that's set up so that you can, you know, your power is going into the pedals so that, you know, you're as fast as you can be. You know, I mean, especially if your goal is to be fast, yeah. Well, why handicap yourself unnecessarily? Yeah, I, I, that's right. I think I think everything you say is, is correct. Um, and, and funnily enough, it's also the opposite is true. I mean, I was a very poor athlete at school. I mean, really poor. I couldn't really catch balls. I couldn't really throw them. I couldn't really, you know, the team sports that we all had to play in British schools. I was good at none of them. You know, it just none of it worked for me. When I ran, it didn't feel right. I couldn't. You know, when I ran, I just didn't feel. I felt discombobulated, and I. You know, and so I was just that kid that, you know, was last at everything. And then when I started to ride a bike, I rode a bike through my youth anyway, but then I started to get more serious about it. I'm just one of those people where the bike, I'm better on a bike than off it, you know, and I talk about yeah. that in the book that, you know, some people are, you know, and I'm that person. I mean, I'm not now because I've been injured quite a lot, but, you know, all before I got injured and old, I was that person that struggled to function off a bike, but could function on it. 
you know, my body was one of those bodies that just it seemed to work better in a bicycle than it did off a bicycle. But not everyone's like that. And so, you know, and for people that, you know, are struggle to get on a bike, um, you know, it, 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 it's a challenge. They need help. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not automatic or easy. Yeah. But I think the message is that there is help. Oh, it is possible. Oh my Don't God. give up. No, 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 no. No, no, never, ne we've never come across somebody who we've said, oh, geez, you know, you need to take up table tennis. It's just, it's never, it ne you know, it never happens. You know, there's always, there's always ways to help. Well, that's great. Okay, so we're essentially out of time, but I wanted to give you a chance to foreshadow this new book. And I don't know whether you can even guess at when it would be available, but what are the new topics or the new learnings that we're going to hear about in this new publication? Yeah, so the, the new book... Essentially, if you read chapter eight in this book, the, um, the mindful cyclist, I'm going off not in that direction, but I'm looking at much more. That was, you know, the whole the midlife cyclist is about the cyclist body and our motivation and the philosophy of training and cycling and all the rest of it. This next book is definitely going more in that lane about, you know, what is it that makes us, you know, keep cycling. What's happening? Literally, why? Why can we not put this thing down? Sometimes, even when it's hurting us, and talking to people who have taken this to extremes. So, some professional cyclists, some amateur cyclists. So, but really thinking about the cyclist brain much more than the cyclist body. So that's a clue of where of where this next book is, um, and it's it's a challenge for me because you know I'm not coming to this with any real you know I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or anything else. I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people already about it and thinking about what is it this thing that sticks us to this this cycling and we you know once we've got it once we've got that bug we can't shift it even when it's to our detriment so so, so people can be more enlightened about you know making choices about what's good for them or bad for them so it will sit with the midlife cyclist very much so uh, but it's much more about you know emotional kind of mental side excellent that sounds interesting I look forward to it yeah hopefully who knows could be rubbish. Hey, this has been really amazing. Thank you very much. Okay, lovely, lovely to talk to you, Joe. Um, and and I, I hope some of your listeners find some of that useful. Yeah, I'm sure that they will. So where should they find you? I'm sure that your book is everywhere, but where would you send them to find more about you uh, and uh, you know your writings? Uh, well, The Midlife Cyclist is, is out in America. Um, it's funny. It's had this kind of funny growth. I mean, it came out a few years ago, and it, 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 it was, you know, a couple... I noticed it was the number one cycling audiobook in America uh, uh, last weekend. So it's weird how it suddenly seems to have become, you know, much more on the map in the US. So I've got no, I've got no explanation for that. But, but other than thanking people like you and, uh, you know, other people who have done podcasts and, and talked about the book, it just seems to have kind of created a little life itself, which is lovely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you, it's on Bloomsbury. You can get it, um, you know, you can get it from bookshops. And I think it's out there or download the audiobook if you want to, if that's easier for you. Uh, I've even heard that some people, I heard this, that some people have taken the, listening to the audiobook and then also following it on their Kindles or on their device. So it, uh, you know, which I think is, sounds like, a, you know, I'm going to do that for other books, I think now. It's multimedia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you take, you're taking it in from both ways. Exactly. Well, good. And your um, Cycle Fit, uh, that's your business, is that right? Cycle Fit, yeah. Yeah, Central London. And, we have two locations. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about that and your website. So cyclefit.co.uk. We have two locations right in the middle of London. The one I'm in right now is called the Fire Station because it's an old fire station. This is where we do kind of all the performance stuff. Uh, the lead bike fitter here is Julian, my co-director, Julian Wall. Um, Jules is one of the, you know, he's a way better bike fitter than I am. He's, he's you know, one of the, I'm, I guess, top handful in the world who work at that kind of Tour de France professional level. He's comfortable with that level. Um, and uh, so he's our, our lead bike fitter. Then obviously I do stuff as well. Then we got um, Vaughn and Jimmy. Um, and and then Ed was the person doing a shoe fit, which is why I moved. So yeah, there's a lot of us here. We've got Nicola, our physio. Uh, John, our sports physiologist. So it's a, here at the, at, at the fire station, it's a real performance center where we're mm -hmm. trying to uh, work on correcting people's issues and injuries and also maximize their performance. And then Store Street, which is 500 meters away, is you can have a bike fit, but it's in trainers and jeans. It's much more folky and low key and, you know, just trying to deal with, you know, simple problems in a simple way. And then if we can't do that, then you come over here and we start to attack you with lots of, you know, high tech instruments. 
Fantastic. All right. Well, yeah. I love cycling. I'm glad there are people like you helping people sort out their problems that maybe are keeping them off the bike. So uh, thanks very much. And thanks for the yeah. time, Phil. This was a great chat. You're so welcome, Joe. And uh, looking forward to chatting again. Yeah, we will do. Thanks very much. Thanks, Joe. Thank you so much for listening in to my discussion with Phil Cavell, the author of The Midlife Cyclist. You can find out more about Phil in the show notes. Oh, and Phil says, if you're ever in London, stop by his shop to say hi.